Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And again, I say it every morning, but you could be any place right now, but you chose to open your heart to us as we've opened our heart to you. So thank you. Thank you for the privilege and honor of coming into your home. We want to start today with Psalms chapter 91. Let me do it a little differently. Normally we just read it to you or have one of the children or one of the young people or one of the seniors recite it. But let me just lay it out like we lay out the rest of the scriptures and you can see some of the things that, that I like to write about Psalms 91. So Psalms 91, English Standard Version. He who dwells, now that's an important word, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So, location is important. You hide your life with God. You learn to hang out with God. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. All right, so things to say to God. Things we say to God. One, my refuge. Not our refuge. Not everybody's refuge. Sometimes you get very person-specific. You're not being selfish, but you're saying, Lord, you're my refuge. Just like when Jacob began to say, my God. No longer the God of my father, my grandfather, but my refuge. My fortress. This is where I find protection. My God, and in whom I trust. <laughs> now, this is what you have to learn to say to God. This is how this, this passage of great protection works. It's teaching us. It's not just, this is not a mantra that we say over ourselves and, okay, we're going to chant our mantra. This is a, a spiritual activity. I will say to the Lord, Lord, you are my refuge. Go ahead and just say it with me. My refuge, my fortress, my God. And Lord, I trust in you. So this is not some little mantra that we just say over our lives. This is a, a path to protection. It deals with location. It deals with the heart. This is the abundance of the heart that is speaking. So all right, we deal with location. Put an L there for location. We deal with heart. And we deal with promise. So I'll put a P for promise. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Okay, this is the promise. <laughs> oh, let me just write it in big, big letters. This is the promise. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I like that. Please forgive me, but I really like that. Brother Eros Absede, he's made these beautiful uh, pictures that you can hang on the wall that says his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. He's got it, He's got the same rendering on, on face mask and all kinds of things. I think it's beautiful. Folks, it is not your faith that is just your shield and buckler. It is his faithfulness. The fact that he is faithful to you. This is why we trust in him, because his faithfulness. <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, effect. Now we get to the effect. You will not fear the terror of the night. That's one. Nor the arrow that flies by day. That's two. 
nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. That's three. Number four, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. He said, the effect is removal of fear. Because God is with you and his faithfulness is your shield. You're not afraid anymore. Now see, folks, the removal of fear is not some mind over matter, some psychological positivity that we try to think of. The thing that takes fear out of our heart is we're covered by God. <laughs> His faithfulness is a shield. We're covered. God's just overshadowing us with his presence. Oh, I love this. Now, again, notice in our particular life, the deadly pestilence. So you can put COVID-19 in there. And the, uh, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You can put COVID-19 in there. And notice it stalks in a season of darkness. So this, the pestilence is the symptom. The darkness is the root. So we'll say symptom. This is, this is the environment. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. These are things you will see but not experience. Now, I know I'm taking time with this. We may have to cup something later off this morning, but we, sometimes we just need to walk through this. We need to make it fresh again. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. So go back to verse 1. Dwelling place. The Most High who is my refuge. Okay, so this is... Uh, cause and effect. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to fall you. No plague shall come near your tent. So one, two. All right, now again, notice we are again dealing with pestilence. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, not because you're perfect, not because you're absolutely wonderful, not because you're, you're, you're experientially sinless, but because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, who is your refuge. Because you've chosen to dwell. In him we live and move and have our being. Remember the passage? So the dwell here, we need to, we need to add a little thought to dwell. Whoops. And I've got that written, so let me just look it up and put it in here real quick for you. Acts 17, verse 28, and also go to John 15, that, in, that Jesus said, I live in him and he lives in me and you live in me. The whole concept of dwelling in God. For he will command his angels charge concerning you. Okay, this is method. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands to bear you us, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, I want to note Matthew 4, the temptation. Satan quotes. And you notice I always use a small S for Satan. I will never capitalize him. Just kind of a thing I've got. I used to get deductions when I was in college for that, but I'm not going to capitalize. Satan quotes, misuses. 
Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, yes, we can see that God will do this, but we don't put God to the test. On their hands, that, in other words, wear your mask. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on lion and adder. The young lion and terpent you will trample underfoot. So not only will the angels guard you, the method is number one, angels guarding, and number two, protection. Protection in life. Because he holds fast to me in love. Now here's that because again. So here we, here we see again, cause and effect. Because he holds fast to me in love. It's not just that you love God. You hold fast to him in love. Like Paul says in Ephesians, your love doesn't fade. Like Jesus says in, in uh, Revelation, you don't lose your first love. Return to your first love. I will deliver him, one. Number two, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, okay, here's cause and effect again. When he calls to me, I will, number one, answer him. Number two, I will be with him in trouble. Number three, I will rescue him. Number four, I will honor him. All right, this is called pray. Pray. Call on his name. Just call on his name and ask him for help right now. When he calls to me, God said, I will answer you. When you call to him, he will be with you in trouble. When you call to him, he will rescue you. When you call to him, he will honor you. Not, not when you sit around your house and say, oh, I trust in Jesus. Now let me watch eat Bulaga. You need to spend more time praying. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's number five. Seniors, you're not dying anytime soon. With long life, he will satisfy you. <laughs> and notice, satisfy. Not endure a long life of sickness and pain. With long life, I will satisfy you and show him my salvation. Oh, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. We thank you for your great and precious promises. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Everything you do in our lives is beautiful and wonderful. And Father, we do come to you today and we choose to live in you, to dwell in you. Father, because in you we live and move and have our being. Our whole life is within you. We don't understand that, Lord, but we don't want to be apart from you. We don't want to go off and just live our own lives and do our own thing and come visit you on a Sunday. Lord, we want to live our lives in you. We want to live under the shadow of your wings. We want to live in your embrace. We want to call on you every day of our lives. Oh, Father, touch the heart of every one of our people to have more desire to pray, to have more desire to call on you. And Lord, every time they call on you, you answer them, and then they want to call on you even more. Father, in this season, stir up prayer lives. Lord, we can build some things in for people to learn, but, but Lord, that has to be something that you do. Stir up the spirit of supplication within them. Stir up that, that spirit of prayer within the hearts of all of our people. Lord, especially in the young people, that their hearts not pulled astray to the world and their minds filled with things that they're not evil, Lord, but they're just not productive. Oh, Father, 
We ask in Jesus' name, raise up a whole generation of young people that are prayer warriors, that just love to come into your presence and seek your face and watch your miracles at work. For the seniors, Father, Lord, stir up that spirit of supplication within them to pray like they have never prayed before. Lord, to overshadow their whole families in an umbrella of prayer, to overshadow those young people, Lord, those grandchildren, all of their apoe in a great umbrella of prayer and faith, to overshadow all of their young ones as they go out to work, Lord, in this great umbrella of prayer and faith. Stir up a spirit of prayer within us, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray right now for all of those frontliners again. Father, so many of the prayer requests that come to me, they're concerned about their children working in the hospitals. They're concerned about their children working in the Department of Health. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, keep your hand upon them. We call to you and we know that you will answer us. We call to you and we know that you will just overshadow all of these young people. Watch over them, Father. Keep them safe and keep them strong. And I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that they shall walk in health and strength. Father, I pray especially for our families today that are struggling financially. Lord, as they sow that daily seed, as they set aside just a little seed every day, Lord, let them see abundance flow. Let them see every sale closed. Let them see all of their food sold out every day. And Father, they won't just have enough for food. They'll have enough to pay their electricity bills. They'll have enough to pay their rent and their mortgage payments. I thank you, Father, for an abundant provision. Give them new ideas, Father. People are getting tired of the same old things. Give them new ideas, new creativity, new things to cook and new things to sell. Oh, Father, give them wisdom on how to move through this situation. Give them varieties of ideas, Lord, that everything will stay fresh and everything will stay new with them. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Paul said, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. All right, so the message is determined by the audience. Paul said, among baby Christians, I don't preach wisdom. Among baby Christians, I, I preach the simplicity of the gospel. But he said, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So Paul said, we are not, we are not anti-wisdom. He said, you know, you want to hear some teaching, man, I can give you some teaching. Now, you've got to understand, when you read the book of Romans, you understand just how intelligent a mind God had placed within Paul. But Paul said, you know what? 
there comes there's a place for that and the place for that is among the mature among the mature we do impart wisdom although not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away paul said all right the source the source of this wisdom is not the world and it's not world leaders now, now, please, I do not understand why pastors today want to preach the wisdom of Steve Gate, Steve Jobs or the wisdom of uh, Warren Buffett or the wisdom of Blue Ocean. As pastors, we, we, don't, we don't teach this, okay? If it can't come from the Scripture, as pastors, we should not be saying it. Now, now this is one of the challenges we, we always are working with with the younger pastors. You don't get on Google and look up a subject and begin to quote the wisdom of the world. Forgive me. The wisdom of the world will not bring salvation. There is no life in the words of men. There is life in the word of God. His word has life in it. Now, forgive me. I'm not against Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or, or any of these people. I read the biographies of these great men. But you notice you never hear me quote them? Well, there's a reason for that. He said, we, we, don't, we don't get this wisdom from the, this age or from the rulers of this age, the, the leaders of this, this world. The wisdom has to come from God. So when, when you hear preachers quoting all that other stuff, forgive me, don't go to that church anymore. Find a church that just teaches the Bible. Now, I know that's ugly state, an ugly thing to say, but at some point you just have to decide, am I a Christian or am I part of a social movement that, that quotes whatever everybody wants to hear right now? Okay, Steve Jobs died, so let's teach the leadership style of Steve Jobs. You know, Warren Buffett dies. Let's teach the investing wisdom of Warren Buffett. No, we don't follow these things. We teach the word. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. All right, so God's wisdom, the purpose of God's wisdom, is for our glory. And this is God's wisdom. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> the whole plan of salvation, the wisdom of God, the world did not understand it, or they would have never killed Jesus. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> no eye, nor ear, nor heart ha as imagined. Now, I've got a pretty good imagination. Most people do have a pretty good imagination. But I'm sorry, you can't even begin to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now then, this, now here's wisdom. Here's wisdom revealed. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. All right, so the wisdom of God, source, Holy Spirit. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Just like you and I are three parts, you and I are body, soul, and spirit, and really 
to say it technically, we are a spirit man who has a soul and has a body. Okay? In the same way, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in God's image, three parts. You are a trinity, just like God is a trinity. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. All right? So the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can understand the things given to us freely by God. Now, now, this is something I always work with people on, and I've been talking with a lot of you lately, so if this sounds familiar, it's because I've been talking to a lot of you about this lately in my, in my personal calls and things with you. You're not going to get healed because of all the things you've done, all the songs you've sung, all the connect groups you've held, all the people you've led to Christ. You're not going to get healed. And you're not going to see God's provision flow to your life because of all the things you've done. Everything that God does for you is by grace. <laughs> I love that. Everything God does for you is by grace. We don't deserve anything. It's all by grace. Freely given to us by God. Freely. Not because we deserve it. Not because we paid for it. Not because we've worked hard enough for it. Not because we've done enough penitentia. Freely given to us by God. Now, when you understand how the Bible says freely you receive, freely give, this is why we would never charge people for the gospel. We would never charge people for a crusade. We would never charge people for a concert. Everything that flows from God is freely given. <laughs> and we impart this in words, okay? He said we impart this. What is this? This are the things that we have been made to understand by the Holy Spirit. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. All right, so you get the, the truth from the Holy Spirit, and you get the, the words from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're ever around me before I preach, whether it's a crusade in the province, whether it's in a service, I'm always praying, Lord, give me Holy Spirit, give me words. Lord, give me words. I need words. I need words. Lord, give me words. Lord, I need the right word. Words are how we communicate. So it's not enough to know the truth that God wants communicated. You have to know the words to communicate it with. Now, Jesus said it like this. The father taught him what to say and how to say it. What to say and how to say it. And I put the reference there. Jesus said that. The natural person, all right, so here's a different kind of a person, okay? We have a spiritual person, three types of people. We have a spiritual person. We have the natural person who does, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. For he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, this person, and then there's the natural. We'll get to the next one tomorrow. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, 
Why can we judge all things? Because we have the mind of Christ. All judgment has been given unto Jesus. Oh, but that's a whole other subject. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
choose to believe nothing is impossible with God. Everybody now. Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter 7 verse 1. Now please remember some important things with me. Number one, Job declared by God blameless. Okay, number two, Satan told God to destroy Job. Number three, God said in your hands. Okay, this was all of the things that happened in Job's life was not God. It was in Satan's hands. Number four, Job's friends condemned him. And as we saw yesterday, his the condemnation of these guys had a lot of beautiful spiritual things to say about God, but they were always very accusatory to Job. Now, you're going to see this as a, a common theme through Job, where they will say these wonderful things about God, but the accusation that comes against Job is pretty strong stuff, all right? Now, Job made mistakes in here also. We see that Job gets very discouraged, and you know he begins to say some things that are not right, and at the end of the book of Job, God corrects him. Now, with that overview, let's pick up with Job's response. Verse 1. Has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave he longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand he looks for his wages. So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. Now, th th those are the words of a discouraged, bitter man, because he had had a very wealthy life. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and breaks out afresh. See, he's in a lot of physical pain. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. 
Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. L listen to this discouragement. Now again, you see pain in his life. You see loss of sleep because of all these boils that are all over his body. And folks, there's nothing worse than trying to sleep when you're in pain. So this pain that Satan had brought upon him and the, the condemnation of his friends has had an effect. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. For he returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not restrain. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Now, brothers and sisters, this you see corrected at end of Job. God really gets after him for this. But you have to understand pain, suffering, hurt, condemnation. These things have an impact. And he says, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Brothers and sisters, you want to be careful when you feel like that. Am I the sea or sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would rather choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. Again, the desire of pain. The desire of pain is leave me alone. He doesn't want these people to bother him anymore. So just, just leave me, just leave me be. Now, those of us that have had real pain in our life at some time, we understand this. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. This is Job's question of God. Job's question, God. What is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him that you visit him every morning, and that you test him every moment. God said, God, why are you so interested in me? <laughs> why, why, why do you focus so much on a human being? How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Now, listen. Listen to the effect of condemning friends. If I sin, what do I do to you? But God had said he was blameless. But now but these friends condemning him, he begins to condemn himself. He said, God, why have you made me your mark? He blames God. Again, this is why when we get to the end of Job, you see God's strong talk to him about this. 
Why have I become a burden to you? Say, God, what have I done to what have I done to upset you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? Brothers and sisters, God had said Job was blameless. He'd held him up before Satan as, have you considered my servant Job? Blameless in all his ways. But now Job feels like such a horrible sinner and he blames God for everything. Such is the effect of Satan's work. Such is the effect of condemning friends. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a great wind. Oh, man, with friends like this, who needs a demon? Does God pervert justice? Or does God pervert what is right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. All right, he said, your kids are dead. And it's their sin. Thank you. Okay, that's just what I wanted to hear. My kids are all dead. Your children have sinned against God, and he delivered them into the hand of their transgression. No, Satan killed those kids. If you seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will arouse himself and restore your rightful habitation. He said, oh, hey, listen, look at this. God is good. But you're the problem if this is, this is religious condemnation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. For inquire, please, of bygone ages, and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you to utter words out of their understanding? Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? Yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of those who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Wow. Talk about an outright attack. Just what Job needed to hear. God said, Job, you're blameless in all your ways. Satan tears up your life. And these people stand in front of you and said, such are the paths of those who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Grabe. His confidence is severed. His trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. He is a lush plant before the sun. His shoots spread over the garden. His roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon a house of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then he will deny him, saying, I've never seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the soil others will spring. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. Wow, here's another big attack. But God called Job blameless. God called Job blameless. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. The promises... Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Now, what's fascinating is Job had to pray for these guys afterwards for God's forgiveness and for God's blessing upon their lives. See, one of the things you have to realize is that oftentimes condemnation comes against you. And it sounds so right because they say such great things about God, but they have so misjudged you. Chapter 9, verse 1. 
Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes the mountains, they know it not. He who overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion and Pilates and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out, marvelous things beyond number. Job has a great revelation of God. This is Job's revelation of God. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Isn't it interesting in the end of the book of Job, God says, come now, stand before me and answer me if you can. Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. So Job Job said, no. He said, done nothing wrong. And you know what? God said he did nothing wrong. This was, see, sometimes you got to understand people aren't reaping what they've sowed. Sometimes there's just an ugly devil out there that hurts people. And see, religion always wants to put the blame on somebody. It's like, it's like with the disciples of Jesus, even the apostles. They said, Jesus, with this blind guy, who, who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. But religion always wants to say that man deserved this. Sometimes man didn't deserve anything. There's just a stinking, ugly devil. He said, though I'm right, I cannot answer. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but he fills me with bitterness. Now look at this. Job blames God. Now this is one of the things that had to get straightened out in Job's thinking at the end of the book. Oftentimes you and I, we blame God and it's the devil who's doing all of this. Remember, twice God said he's in your hands. This was the devil's work. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a master matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right and my mouth would condemn me, though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. If I am blameless, I regard not myself, I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Wow. Uh, bad attitude. Job got a bad attitude between the condemnation that came against him and his suffering and pain. He got a bad attitude toward God. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks the calamity of the innocent. Not true. God does not do this. So Job had this great revelation of God, but his bitterness and his hurt and his pain and being condemned by his friends it changed some of his attitudes toward God. The earth is given to the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of a reed, like an eagle swooping upon a prey. 
If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know that you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man that I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbitrator between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me. Let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Listen again to the bad attitudes. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't put Job down for this. All of us have gone through really hard times in life, and we've questioned God, and we've criticized God. But that's not, that's not what should be happening here. But Job did not discern that this was all the devil's work and that God was proud of him. Have you considered my servant Job? Job had no comprehension of God's pride and God's love over his life. The sickness and the bitterness and the pain and the suffering that Satan had brought to his life and that his, his friends condemning had brought to his life had really affected his concept of God. Now, at the end of the book of Job, all this gets turned around and gets right. God educates Job. But I want to challenge you this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but do not allow the circumstances of the devil. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do not allow circumstances brought about by the devil. And do not allow religious condemnation that says nice things about God but condemns you to make you begin to condemn yourself and make you begin to criticize God. You know what I learned to do in my life? Because I've been through some hard times. You know, we've walked this journey together for 40 years. You know what I've learned to do? Sometimes I just quiet in my heart. And I say, Father, there's a lot of things I don't get. But I know this. I know that you are good. And your mercy endures forever. I don't understand the things happening. But I know that you are good. And your mercy endures forever. God, I don't understand why this stuff has to happen right now, but I know that you are good. And, and I just begin to say that to God over and over and over again and remind myself, I do not want my heart to ever get bitter before God. I like what Habakkuk says, though he slay me, yet will I love him, yet will I praise him. There's a lot of things we don't get in life and a lot of things we don't understand in life because there is an ugly devil out there trying to turn us against God. Okay, trying to turn us against God. But I'm not going to let my heart turn. He has loved me. He has saved me. He has changed my life. I'm not going to let my heart turn against God. God is good and his mercy endures forever. And his mercy is new every morning like the rising of the sun. Brothers and sisters, keep that. Whatever's going on in your life, keep that in your heart. 